Tuesday, Dalid Tishrei. Today's shir, one day out of order, is the shir of Haramashat Tarigin in Yudgirol Midot. Pashat Shavua will come later on in the week. The next section of the Yudgirol Midot, of the 13 attributes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's mercy, is the section entitled, or the section which contains the traits, Nose Avon Vafesha Vechata Benake. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Nose. There's a bit of a debate amongst the Rishonim how exactly to interpret the term Nose. But what's also interesting is that the sequence between the three different variations of sin. Conventionally, the word avon, according to Chazal, refers to sins and vices of desire, of lust, of need, performed intentionally with the intention of satisfying particular interests or achieving advantages. The term chait, chata, refers to unintentional, negligent sins. The word pesha, typically refers to acts of rebellion and insurrection against HaKadosh Baruch One would have expected that these three sins be sequenced in ascending order of severity. We ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be nosei, to waive or to eliminate our unintentional sins, our chatoyim, our intentional sins, our avonos, and our acts of rebellion, our, our pshayim. And indeed, this is the sequence of the vidui. When a person recites vidui, when the Kohen Gadol recited vidui, chatasi, avisi, pashati lefonecha. There is a classic and logical ascent of severity. And yet, in the Yud Midos, there's almost an inversion. Avon and Pesha do create some degree of ascent or ascending order, but the chata shatters that sequence. So, the Gemara relates to this sequencing. The Gemara in Yoma says that our prayer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is that he should forgive or waive our sins, our Avonus and Pshayim, so that they can be transformed into Chatayim. The Gemara says that our request from HaKadosh Baruch Hu is that he should consider, Rashi considers this as well, Rashi in the Gemara in Yoma, he should consider our Chayt, he should consider our sins as if they were unintentional, that it Successful tshuva actually transforms chayt, doesn't just eliminate or suppress it, but transforms chayt into shogek. A very provocative notion that sins which may have been performed with criminal intent or with actual self-serving interest can retrospectively be defined as negligent or unintentional through the process of tshuva. It's a very interesting base Halevi in Parshas Kitisa, who argues that a successful tshuva obviously doesn't merely address the activities and seek atonement, but a truly successful tshuva questions the lifestyle and the values that led to such embarrassing behavior and hopefully reforms that lifestyle. So a person can alter values, not just activities, change his identity, not just um, petition on behalf of clemency. And by undergoing that transformation, then person looks back at the behavior and the, the, uh, the, the frame of mind that enabled that behavior and is a different person and seems ridiculous, absurd, preposterous almost to have behaved in that fashion, 
given your current self, given your current state of affairs, subsequent to a successful tshuva. So the Beis HaLevi reasons that this conversion is not magical or, or mystical, but this conversion is part of the natural consequence, the natural result of successful tshuva. The person, so to speak, who, who performed those sins, that person is in effect uh, a different person, and you experience what one may call a momentary insanity, a momentary loss of mind to surrender eternity for transient moments of pleasure or betrayal or disobedience. So the Gemara in Yoma reasons that Nasi Avon Vafesha Vechata Chait is subsequent to the process in order to convert sins through the process of tshuva into unintentional shkagos. The continuation of the Gemara in Yoma on Pevav is even more provocative. The Gemara cites Rish Lakish who extols tshuva for its capacity to convert chait into zadon, into shogeg, shenemar shuva Yisrael ad Hashem elokecha ki chashalta ba'avonecha. The play on words between avon and michshol, avon is an intentional, premeditated, self-serving interest, and a michshol is some sort of negligent oversight. So the Pasuk in Hosea, which juxtaposes shuva Yisrael ad Hashem elokecha ki chashalta ba'avonecha, which affixes the word michshol to describe an avon, is, is at least according to Reish Lakish describing the aftermath of tshuva, where our rebellions and vices are considered a shogeg. But then the Gemara poses a contradiction. Aini, the Gemara says in Yom HaPevavam and Beis, V'amar Reish Lakish g'dola tshuva shezdonos nasa lo kizachuyos. Tshuva is so powerful, it's so transforming, that it converts sins into merits, not just into unintentional sins. The Gemara ultimately discriminates between two types of tshuva. The Gemara says, one is a tshuva meyira, and one is a tshuva meyava. A person who performs tshuva solely out of fear of, uh, of punishment, fear of judgment. So that tshuva is legal, successful, and ultimately restores the sense of perspective that allows the person to look back on chait, hopefully, and recognize it as an illness or temporary insanity or lunacy. So ultimately, those experiences are cast to shogig because he had lost his discretion or ability to render proper moral judgment. But a tshuva lava, a tshuva that's based on recognizing distance from HaKadosh Baruch Hu as the true form of punishment, Davra Malachin Tehillim, Paraglamit Ches, begins the parak in a very interesting fashion. Tehillim Lamed Ches is perhaps the most emotionally vivid and compelling parak, probably Tehillim Lamed Ches in Nun Aleph, in which David HaMelech literally shares his innermost private moments of penitence and the emotions which overwhelm him during the process of tshuva. And it's a very, very raw parak. And in the beginning, David HaMelech pleads with HaKadosh Baruch Hu to, to protect him or to um, spare him his anger. Don't punish me. Don't persecute me. Don't um, afflict me. But then he explains why. There's no peace, there's no tranquility in my body nor in my soul as a result of my sins, as a result of my failures. What essentially David HaMelech tells HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there is no need for external penal action 
Because the chait itself and the consequence of chait, the distancing of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, creating a situation in which a person feels alien, foreign to the Rabbana Shalom, as the Rambam writes in some very, very um, haunting phrases. In Hilchas Tshuva, Parak Zayin the Rambam writes, Emesh, prior to the process of Tshuva, when a person is still entrenched in the world of Chait, Emesh, a person can actually be considered deplorable or repugnant to the Rabbonishal and Sanoi, despised. Meshukats, abominable. Meruchak, distant. Toeva, despicable. It's a very, very painful words to recite and to imagine that a Baruch Hu actually looks at his child or at Chas at, Hashalm at yourself, that a Baruch Hu looks at you that way. And the restorative power of Tshuva, Vahayom Hu Ahov, Venechmad, Karovia did. And the Rambam in describing Emesh and Hayom is highlighting the immediate nature of Tshuva. The Tshuva can occur within a flash. Of course, that flash has to be a genuine turning of the heart, a genuine transformation. So David HaMelech and Lamed Ches is describing the suffering, the psychological, physical, emotional suffering he undergoes as a result of his failure contaminating his relationship with the Kurdish Baruch Hu. That's considered tshuva me'ava, not out of fear of penalty or future, but the recognition of tshuva's healing, tshuva's rehabilitatory powers to recreate that relationship with Kutcher Ultimately, the word tshuva is sometimes misconstrued, as if it means recovery, repair, improvement, examination. These are all elements and aspects of the tshuva process, but tshuva at its heart and source is a spatial experience, which the Balchet is distant from the Rabboni Shalom, tries to climb his way and claw his way back into that relationship. That process of tshuva me'ava, the Gemara in Yoma writes, doesn't merely convert misdeeds into unintentional activities, but can actually, can actually serve as a experience transforming enough to be considered a merit. Obviously, we don't invite sin, and no one would tolerate or validate intentional sin to enable tshuva. But retrospectively, once a person plunges into the world of sin, and ultimately every person visits that realm because no one is perfect, as Salman Melech writes, having visited that realm of failure, sometimes if the recovery process is genuine and out of love and recognition, of proximity with HaKadosh, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the highest ideal for human experience, then in some ways the Tshuva process can be superior to not having experienced Tshuva whatsoever. So it is almost as if he, his Chatayim, his sins, become a merit because they enabled and catalyzed the Tshuva process. Again, this is a very controversial statement because it may invite, it may invite intentional sin to enable or to facilitate tshuva, something which on its own is a very, very questionable, questionable value in Yiddishkeit. But this is the sequence of Nosi Avon, Vafesha, Vechatoa, Venake. These are the three types of chatayim that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Nosei, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu waves or uh, absolves. Now in terms of the actual term Nosei, the Evan Ezra considers that the term means to eliminate and to remove even though oftentimes in Tanakh the word laseit means to carry and to bear, 
which in many ways is the antithesis of elimination. When someone bears something, then he sustains it and preserves it. Removal may not be connoted by the term nasei, but the Ebenezer believes that that word is a double entendre, and sometimes in Tanakh means to eliminate, sometimes in Tanakh means to sustain. However, most Mepharshim disagree with the Ebenezer, and they assume that the term nasei doesn't mean to eliminate, but rather to bear, to carry. In the sense that Kosh Baruch Hu carries our sin and bears its weight rather than, so to speak, allowing the weight of sin to crush us or to enable punishment. So Shem protects us by bearing the weight of our sin. And in many ways, this imagery evokes several aspects of Chait and, of course, Al-Chuva. First of all, it highlights the fact that sin has an impact. And it has an impact not only reflexively on the violator or the criminal, but proverbially and metaphorically on the Rabbanu Shalom. Hashem has to carry the sin. That means that there's a weight that could impact or cause damage, and Hashem carries it. There's a weight of sin. Um, some Mepharshim interpret this phrase as evoking the sense that the sin is really not eliminated, but is just sidelined. And if the tshuva is, it becomes permanent and sustained, then the chait no longer affects the, its author. But if the tshuva is half-hearted and passing, then the chait, um, the chait uh, continues to plague the person and ultimately may exact some punishment. So the term nosei suggests not the cancellation of chait, but the suspension of chait, in this case, by describing the image of carrying and bearing. There's an interesting Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, which may provide a third factor, a third reason why the term nosei was considered. We're in Rosh Hashanah daf Zayin, a very interesting phrase, which relates in general to all the 13 midas, but the Gemara seems to apply it in specific to these midas. The Gemara says, Kol ha-mavir al-midosav ma'avirin lo. Whoever, to paraphrase the Gemara, whoever succeeds in duplicating HaKadosh Baruch Hu's midos will merit that same treatment, that same attendance, that same generosity of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is something I mentioned in one of the first shiurim. Part of the power of Yudgibol Midos is not merely in their recital, but in internalizing these traits, recognizing HaKadosh Baruch Hu as the divine absolute source of Jewish morality, and attempting to recreate our own moral experience in His image. And that moral awakening and that moral rehabilitation itself serves as the platform for tshuva, and of course for HaKadosh Baruch Hu granting us mechil and kapar. Very interesting that in our tshuva, it's the moral improvement and the moral gen- the genesis of moral consciousness that serves as the catalyst for the overall tshuva process. The recitation of Yidgil Midos and the duplication of Yidgil Midos. As the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah says, Yasu They should duplicate these Midos, not just recite or articulate them. So this is a Gemara that essentially captures that truism, that if a person is mavir al-midosav, he allows things to pass, he isn't insistent on exacting uh, or, or exacting and demanding of people, but he's easygoing and he allows insult and other forms of ben adam lachavero, dispute catalysts, he allows them to sort of die down, then he will merit that same treatment. And the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah cites the Pasuk in Micha, no se avon vi overall pesha, the Gemara Darshan's Lamino se avon, the Misha overall pesha. Who does Akarish Baruch Hu wave sins for? The person who himself waves and ignores the sins of others to him. 
The Vilna Gaon has a slightly different girsa in the Gemara, the Mi over Al Pesha, the Mi but essentially it's a very similar message. So, in effect, what the Gemara may be telling us is that Akadish Baruch Hu employed the term Nose, the imagery of carrying, because that's a term which may not apply that well to Akadish Baruch Hu in the actual sense, but does in a very, very graphic and vivid manner convey to us the importance of bearing. It's harder for human beings to excuse guilt, but it's easier to bear it, to carry the weight, to be a stronger and larger person and not have to exact revenge, maintain hostilities, hate someone. So this term, Nose Avon Vafesha, and the parallel Pasuk in Micha, Lemi Nose Avon, Lemi Shavar El Pesha, based on the Pasuk Nose Avon Vavar El Pesha, may just have been a manner to express HaKadosh Baruch Hu's interest in our own bearing of other people's insult and injustice to ourselves. So there may be several other reasons why this term is chosen, even though it doesn't necessarily mean elimination, it means bearing. There could be theological reasons, the impact Chayt has on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There could be religious reasons, that the Chayt isn't eliminated, it's just suspended, and perhaps can be revived in the event of an inauthentic tshuva. And they may even have moral reasons in order to best exemplify HaKadosh Baruch Hu's expectations. There is yet another um, connotation or dimension to the term Nose based on a Yishalmi in Sanhedrin. The Yishalmi in Sanhedrin says as follows, Rav Huna B'Shem Rabbi Avo, Sanhedrin Perak Yud Halacha Aleph, Rav Huna says in the name of Rabbi Avo, Ein Lefan of Shechacha, HaKadosh Baruch Hu never forgets. So, you know, Rosh Hashanah was the day of Zikaron, the day of memory, Atazacher Kol HaNishkachos. Habishvil Yisrael, however, based on his love for the Jewish people, Nase Shachachan, Hashem intentionally forgets. My time, where do we see Hashem forgets? Out of love for Am Yisrael? No se'avam. No se'ksiv. This Yushalmi interprets the switch from the term Mochil Avon, or Soleach Avon, or Meser Avon, to the term No se'avam, as capturing some sort of special nepotism, or special preferential treatment that a Baruch Hu affords Am Yisrael. He forgets the sin. The sin is there, and perhaps an individual or a nation may not deserve its absolution or elimination, but Hashem looks the other way. And in light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu not being capable of Shechecha, this is a very, very stark and dramatic statement of his love for Amisol that he's even willing to contravene his own essence of Baal HaZichronos. So this is a different slant as to why the Pasuk employs the term Nasi Avon, rather than some sort of different verb. The next and perhaps final trait is the trait of vinake, of cleansing, of purity. And, of course, this phrase evokes the theme of tahara within Shuva, that we seek not only the elimination or the exemption of punishment, but we seek purity. Purity in the very, very limited sense of, uh, of a retrieval of innocence, of naivete, of a past self, which may have been compromised through chait. Referring back to David HaMelech's description of a tainted soul and a tarnished inner self, the greatest consequence and the greatest suffering of the Balchait, we seek to restore that initial purity, and there's certainly psukim throughout, uh, Tanakh, 
throughout the slichos which we recite, which evoke images of purity. Pasuk we recite in slichos, which captures the restoration of purity. Of course, Rabbi Kiva's famous pasuk in the mission in Yoma Pevav, Mikveh Yisrael Hashem, Moshiach Be'esara, and remember this was an important pasuk for Rabbi Akiva to quote because he was operating immediately during and after the Churban Beis Hamikdash, and one can only imagine the trauma which the contemporary residents of Yushalayim faced, having been trained on Yom Kippur to focus their attention on the Beis Hamikdash and the unique avod of the Kohen Gadol in achieving kapara for an entire nation and the glory of the ceremonies of Yom Kippur. And two months after the Beis Hamikdash is laid to waste, is burnt and raised to the ground, people sort of have an emptiness and, an, and a dread facing a Yom Kippur without Beis HaMikdash and Rabbi Akiva, as he always does. Rabbi Akiva had that prophetic vantage point that evidently some of his contemporaries lacked. And he was always able to restore proportion and dimension to experiences of Galos that were just too devastating, that they became overwhelming and that they led to a closure of the imaginative faculty. This is the end of the Gemara Makos. Rabbi Akiva laughs when he sees the foxes scampering in Harabayas and his colleagues cry and reminds them of the broader sweep of Jewish history. And same thing here, Bikiva tells his contemporaries, Mikveh Yisrael Hashem, Moshiach Be'esara. Don't worry, it's not the Beis HaMikdash, which is the focal point of Yom Kippur, but the presence of Rabboni Shalom and the presence of Kuchibruchu. And during the days of the Beis HaMikdash, that presence is recognized within a shelter, within a structure. Subsequent to the destruction of Beis HaMikdash, we have to attempt to reach out and interact and encounter the Rabboni Shalom, independent of any structure, independent of any dwelling. But in striking this chord, Rabbi Akiva employs the purity image of Mikveh Yisrael Hashem Moshiach Be'esarah, which is similar to the Pasuk in Yechezkel, but to a degree adds another dimension, that Hashem is not just the target of our purity process. We're becoming pure so that we can be close to Hashem, but Hashem is actually the mikvah, which is a very astounding statement about the power of tshuva. One would have claimed that in order to be in the presence of Hashem, tshuva is a precondition. Who can ascend the mountain of Hashem? Only someone who's pure, who has integrity, who's clean. So the process of tshuva is a necessary prerequisite to encounter Kuchibruchu. The Kiva's point is that Hashem is the mikvah. You don't have to perform tahara in order to encounter Hashem. You encounter Hashem and that's your tahara. By throwing yourself into the presence of Kuchibruchu with all of your failures, with all of your blemishes, with all of your impurities, that willingness to place oneself in the proximity and the embrace of Kuchibruchu, that itself, that experience, lends the purity which is a very, very strong irony, and, and really almost all aspects of tshuva are ironic by definition. Tshuva is not meant to be a rational, uh, cohesive, or coherent experience. It's meant to be something magical, something otherworldly, a gift from a Baruch Hu, and by definition, something which captures the great irony of the human condition. So on the one hand, the word nakeh evokes images of purity. The Rav Zechah in many of his lectures, some of them written in Alachuva, developed the sense of Tahara well beyond purity and innocence and, and Tzmimus, but to relate to an overall personal rehabilitation, that beyond just absolving penalty and avoiding Onesh, the Baal Tshuva seeks to undergo a catharsis of self 
a regeneration of personality, a reorientation. The Ramam speaks about a name change. Baal Tshuva should change his name. The Rav sees this as either actual or at least symbolic, that the, even if the name doesn't change, the entire personality undergoes a transformation, a metamorphosis. Quotes the Gemara in Sanhedrin, that if a person becomes invalid for testimony because of gambling habits, so he no, he is invalid until he not only ceases his gambling activity, but also until he, he must tear up the cards or break whatever tools or um, accessories he employed in order to gamble. Because it's not just enough to um, to reverse tracks, but a person has to locate the deep, deep sources of character traits within his identity and reform those those traits themselves, the foundation. And Tahara represents a complete character transformation. Just like the gambler undergoes a character transformation and no longer wants possession of his gambling uh, equipment. Similarly, a person who's a Baal Tshuva, who succeeds at the second form of Tshuva, known as Tahara, is undergoing a transformation that's so sweeping, so intense, that he actually changes his name, even non-literally, but he changes his personality. So these are some of the ideas which are evoked by the term Nake. Of course, we don't recite the entire phrase of Venake lo yinake. We only recite Venake because the Gemara Yoma comments that Venake refers to those who perform tshuva, lo yinake refers to those who don't perform tshuva. So we would like to think of ourselves within the former category of tshuva performers, so we stop at Venake. There's a very interesting Unculus. Unculus says that there's a unique opportunity of Nikayon, of Tahara, of Venake, as Unculus writes, specifically through Torah study. Very interesting question. How can you achieve purity? A person can achieve atonement, absolution, forgiveness. These are all experiences which we're familiar with, even in, in the personal realm, in the human realm. But how do you regain purity? How do you restore lost innocence, tarnished identity? So it's an interesting question, and undoubtedly there are multiple answers, but the most powerful, at least according to Unculus, is Torah study. The Gemara in Brachos comments on the comparison between Torah and water. There are many associations between Torah and water. But this Gemara in Brachos Tezayin is commenting on the association between Torah and rivers. So the term Oel here captures Torah study, Torah study performed in the tents, and the word Oel is affixed to the word Nechalim, structurally in the Pasuk. So the Gemara Darshans just as a river, a mikvah, can restore purity to the taint itself, similarly, Torah can relieve a person of impurity and reestablish that lost purity and restore it. So, um, Oglis feels that one of the methods, perhaps the most successful and effective method, at creating Venake is through Torah study, and perhaps that's a challenge, specifically during the month of Elul, Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. Obviously, it's a year-long challenge, but specifically during the month that we seek Venake, we seek Tahara to make sure that Torah study remains robust and consistent. The final part of the Yud Gimomidos, at least according to many Rishonim, is the phrase V'salachta la'avoneinu u'lechataseinu u'nechaltanu. 
And being that this is the conclusion of the Yud Gil Midas, according to many Rishonim, a person should be careful to at least recite up until this point. Very often in the midst of our Slichos, especially in a minion that moves at a healthy pace, so a person falls behind and always has to sort of stop what he's saying, join the Tzibor, stop a Pizmon in order to say Yud Gil Midas, which obviously should be performed because Yud Gil Midas can only be recited in public. So let's say the Shlich Tzibor is already about to recite Yud Gil Midas and you're still stuck in an earlier Pizmon. You should cease the Pizmon and recite the Yud Gil Midas. But what happens if they recite the Yud Gil Midas quickly and you're trying to catch up as they move on to other parts of the Davening? So a person should recite at least until V'salachtala avoneinu u'lechataseinu u'nechaltanu. The continuation, that's not part of Yud Gil Midas proper, that's just an additive prayer, and that can be omitted in order to join the Tzibor and recite additional prayers, additional tefillahs. But according to many Rishonim, is part of Yud Gil Midas. It refers, according to most Rishonim, to the covenant Hashem offered after teaching Moshe the Yud Gil Midas. Remember the Gemara quoted, quoted the Gemara earlier, the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, Hashem said, Anytime Am Yisrael sins or has an ace, they should recite these 13 midos that I've just demonstrated. And Hashem guarantees a response. Evidently, it seems that the experience of tshuva is extended to every man, Jew and non-Jew. The people of Nineveh demonstrate the capacity of human beings to perform tshuva. But this unique experience of Yudgimomidos with the associated guarantee of our of Hakadosh Baruch Hu's clemency and generosity, that is something reserved only for Jews. According to us, we showed him we are almost cashing in, invoking that demand. Is a, is a is a different tense. It's a shift of the grammar. Most of the Yudgiyominos have been describing Hashem's traits in abstract, and here we almost assert v'salachta lavoneinu ulachataseinu nechatanu. We demand of Hashem that He forgive our sins. We translate our solicitation into an expectation, and that expectation is of, is of course an expectation that Hakadosh Baruch Hu empowered us to lodge by signing this covenant. So hopefully these shiurim, which are now concluded, have and will continue to enrich the Yudgimomidos, which serves as such a central axis of our tilos for this very, very glorious and, and meaningful 40 days of tshuva and Kabbalah's Benahem Melech.